As you are being seated, if you don't mind, turn with me to John chapter 10. That's where we'll begin this morning, John chapter 10. Uh, I'm not a Texan, but I love Texas. I hope that's not a disappointment to you, but I actually grew up in uh, New York. I got it. Uh, But it was upstate New York, not New York City. It was actually kind of a a rural area, university town like this, but a rural area. And uh, on one occasion, I had an opportunity to help out a family friend with his sheep. And uh, I went out to his ranch, and uh, he's kind of giving me some instructions. He said, when you're working with my sheep, you need to pay attention to my ram. Okay, keep one eye on my ram, because my ram will kind of sneak up behind you, and he likes to, to headbutt you right there, right below the hip. And he said, um, you know, he's, he's taken me to the ground a time or two. He could probably break your leg, Brian, so you need to pay attention to that ram. And I, and I listened to this gentleman because uh, he was a veterinarian. He was a prof up at the university, and he was a big, strong guy. So if he said, pay attention to the ram, I thought I better pay attention to the ram. So I'm working with a sheep. I've got one eye on that ram all the time, making sure it doesn't kind of sneak behind me. And then I realized after I had been uh, working for a few minutes that I'd lost track of the ram. And I turned around, and sure enough, there he was, he was lined up, he dropped his head, and he charged right at me, and so I just took off. I just, I just ran, and I dove into the back of, this Dr. Hogue was his name, I dove into the back of Dr. Hogue's pickup. He had a little green Toyota pickup. So I dove into the bed of the truck, and that ram went, bam, into the side of the truck, right? And it kind of staggered a little bit, moved back, lined up again on the truck, and goes, bam, into the side of the truck, staggers around a bit. Four or five times, it just rams into the side of the truck. And after that many blows, it, it just staggered off. It just wandered off. I climbed out of the truck. Dr. Hogue came up about 30 minutes later, and he said, I see you had an encounter with my ram. There's a big, huge dent in the side of his truck. And when we think of sheep, we don't normally think of them as the smartest animals on the farm, do we? No, they're not too bright. Uh, when we think of shepherds, though, we often think uh, wrongly of someone who's just soft and gentle and kind, which, which is partially true, right? But it's not entirely true. If you're going to work with sheep, you have to be strong. Shepherds are strong. Shepherds are, are tough people. Shepherds spend days, weeks, sometimes months living out in the wild. Shepherds are, are tough, tough people. And throughout the Bible, God pictures himself as a shepherd, and it is a symbol of strength. The most famous psalm in the Bible starts like this, right? The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. But you know, David didn't come up with that. Actually, all the way back in Genesis, as Jacob was blessing each of his children, he said, God has been my shepherd all of my life. The beginning in Genesis, all the way through Psalms, even into the prophets, Isaiah wrote, like a shepherd, he tends his flock He gathers up the lambs in his arm. He carries them close to his heart. He leads the ewes along. In other words, uh, being tender and loving and caring for the sheep is part of the image of a shepherd, but the predominant theme is strength. Because God is our shepherd, we're safe. Because our shepherd is strong, we're safe, we're secure. And he is a good shepherd. I want you to remember as we continue in this series on the fatherhood of God that what we keep in our minds is not what we experienced in our own families. 
God is a perfect father. So no matter what you grew up with, God is better. If you grew up with a great dad, God is far greater than you can even possibly imagine. If you grew up in a family where your father was completely absent or was abusive, that's not what God is like. God is a great father. He is loving and he is kind. And as we sang, he, he adopted us into his family. And we are safe and we are secure because God is strong. And this image of God as shepherd, I think, really illuminates our understanding and inflames my heart to love God and appreciate God so much more because I am safe in him, because he is strong. So I want you to read with me in John chapter 10, where Jesus talks about this image of God as shepherd. John chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. Jesus says, Truly, truly, he who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep, but climbs up some other way, he's a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. When he puts forth all his own, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. A stranger they simply will not follow, but they will flee from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus spoke to them, but they did not understand what those things were that he had been saying to them. Jesus says, the good shepherd knows his sheep. Now here's the image that he's painting. He's, he's, uh, he's describing a, a sheepfold in which multiple flocks were housed. It would have been uh, a stone wall reaching up maybe 10 feet high, and on the top there would be briars and thorns that had been laced together. There'd be a single opening, one doorway with a gate. And these multiple flocks would all mix together so the shepherds would stand outside that one gate, that one doorway, and they would each have a distinct signal or a distinct call, and so their sheep would gather to them. Jesus says the good shepherd actually doesn't simply have a distinct call. He knows all of his sheep by name. He calls them individually. And as they pass out of that door, they pass under his rod, and he counts them, and he inspects them because he loves them. Jesus knows you by name. You are that valuable and that important to God. Read with me verse 14. I am the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me. Even as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Did you catch that? I know my own, my own know me, even as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. I know my own like I know the Father. And what salvation really is, is being invited into that relationship between Father and Son and Spirit that they have been enjoying for all of eternity. That's salvation. Being invited into that love that was shared for all of eternity between Father, Son, and Spirit. That intimate knowledge. Jesus knows His own. God knows His own because He's a good shepherd. And the good shepherd's life is wrapped up in His sheep. Or from a human standpoint, a shepherd's life is wrapped up in his sheep because that's all of his wealth. Right? From a spiritual standpoint, we are God's wealth. We are God's treasure. He knows, he owns everything, right? He, he created all the gold and all the silver and all the jewels. He owns all the cattle and the sheep on a thousand hills. And yet what God values is you. Deuteronomy chapter 26 says, The Lord has declared this day that you are his people, a treasured possession just as he promised you. What God values is you. Because God is 
the good shepherd. Good shepherd cares for his own, provides for his own, protects his own. Why? Because the good shepherd's reputation is wrapped up in the sheep. Psalm chapter 23 it says, He guides me in paths of righteousness. Why? For his name's sake. If the shepherd is always losing sheep, that's not a good reflection on the shepherd. And so the good shepherd, God the Father, doesn't lose his sheep. Right? Sheep are not bright animals. They're not, they're, not, they're not very teachable animals. They are always getting themselves into trouble. They're wandering into danger. They follow one another into danger. They are susceptible to attacks from outside, to wolves and coyotes and lions and bears. They are susceptible to all kinds of disease. They don't know enough that they shouldn't eat that plant and they should eat that plant. They get poisoned. They poison themselves. Good shepherds have to walk through the fields and pull out the weeds that can poison the sheep. Sheep are vulnerable creatures. And a good shepherd guards and protects and keeps his own. Why? Because he knows them. He loves them. They belong to him. And so God has historically, if you look at uh, the, the, the flow of redemption history, he has always placed uh, under shepherds over his sheep. He's the chief shepherd, but then he places men and women over his sheep. Shepherds. Moses was a shepherd, right? He had 40 years that he was living in Egypt and he was being educated, but then he spent 40 years after he killed the Egyptian in the desert doing what? Shepherding sheep. Why? Because he had to learn how to lead stinky, smelly, obstinate creatures. Right? <laughs> and then he did that for another 40 years. He led Israel through the wilderness as a shepherd. Right? And then when Moses died, or was about to die, he prayed this. He prayed that God would raise up another shepherd. May the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, appoint a man over the congregation who will lead them out and bring them in, so that the congregation of the Lord will not be like sheep which have no shepherd. Okay, to lead them out means take them out of the sheepfold into pastures so that they can graze, so that they can be provided for. Then bring them back to the place of safety. Take them out of the sheepfold into the battlefield so that they can conquer and then move back into safety. God, would you provide such a person? Moses was a shepherd. Joshua was a shepherd. And then the most fam- famous shepherd probably in all the Bible, other than God, was David. Ezekiel 34. Then I will set over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will feed them. He will feed them himself. He will be their shepherd. So good shepherds, Moses, Joshua, David, but not all shepherds were good. That's what Jesus is talking about here in John, John chapter 10. If you read with me John 10, verse 1, again, Jesus says, He who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep, but climbs up some other way, he's a thief, he's a robber. Verse 8, All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. Verse 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and might have it abundantly. Jesus, I'm a good shepherd, but not all shepherds were good. He's speaking of the spiritual leaders in his day. they, They actually devour the sheep. They should feed the sheep, but they abuse the sheep. I want you to turn with me to the prophet Ezekiel, chapter 34 which I think really forms the, the, the biblical and theological background for John chapter 10. Ezekiel chapter 34. It's about in the middle of your Bibles. Verse 1. Ezekiel writes, Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. 
Prophesy and say to those shepherds, Thus says the Lord God, Woe, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flock? You eat the fat and clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fat sheep without feeding the flock. Those who are sickly you have not strengthened. The diseased you have not healed. The broken you have not bound up. The scattered you have not brought back. Nor have you sought for the lost. But with force and severity you have dominated them. They were scattered for lack of a shepherd, and they became food for every beast of the field, and they were scattered. My flock wandered through all the mountains and on every hill. My flock was scattered over all the surface of the earth, and there was no one to search or seek after them. Verse 11, for thus says the Lord God, behold, I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out. As a shepherd cares for his herd in the day when he is among his scattered sheep, so I will care for my sheep and will deliver them from all the places to which they were scattered on a cloudy and a gloomy day. If you belong to God's flock, if you are God's sheep, you are safe forever. Why? Because God's a good shepherd. So the first question I want you to consider today is do you know that you belong to God? Do you know? How can you know? How can you walk out of here knowing that you belong to God and that you're safe forever? Simply be that you respond to Jesus' voice. Like a good shepherd, he's standing at the door and the flock is pictured as all of humanity and he's calling out. He's calling. He's saying, come to me. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. If you're beaten down by life and you've tried and tried and tried to put all of life in order on your own and it has not come into order, then I'm calling to you. Come to me. I'm the one who can remove that debt of sin and remove it completely forever. And when you come into my flock, you are eternally protected. You belong to me because I'm a good shepherd. And a good shepherd is what? He's strong. You're safe because he is strong. And I would encourage you, if you don't know that this morning, that that would be the decision that you make. Before you walk out of here, say, Jesus, yes, I hear your voice and I understand that this morning you're calling to me. I believe. I believe you died for my sins. I believe that you can give me life. I believe that you can keep me safe forever. Why? Because a good shepherd knows his sheep. Because a good shepherd cares for his sheep, provides for his sheep, and guards his sheep. Turn with me to Psalm chapter 23 and verse 1. Psalm 23, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, when I think of a rod and a staff, I don't immediately think of comfort. So uh, what is David talking about? Now, the best visual I could find for you is this, okay? There's a sheep with a rod and a staff, okay? The, uh, the staff is in the sheep's left hand. That's what we normally think of, the, the stick that's got the crook on the end. That's for reaching into a hole or a ravine and pulling a sheep out of danger. The rod in his right hand is for uh, defending the sheep against predators, It was a sapling that was pulled out of the ground, the roots are cut off, and then that root ball remains, and it is polished, it is hardened, and it is used to beat off all threats. It never leaves the shepherd's hand. 
Philip Keller wrote a great book on this years ago. It's called A Shepherd Looks at the 23rd Psalm. Philip Keller was a shepherd himself, and he uh, traveled around the world, and he lived with other shepherds, and he tells a story about one time that he was living among the Maasai warriors in Kenya, and he was uh, going through the brush with uh, a young shepherd, and he wanted to photograph elephants, and so this young shepherd was trying to guide him to find elephants. And they found a group of them down in a thicket, but he couldn't get re- really get a shot with his camera, so they were going to, to roll a rock down the hill through the brush to try and stir them out so Philip Keller could get a picture. So they began to move this rock, and as they moved the rock, a cobra came up okay, right in their face. And he said before he could even fear, that young shepherd took his rod and smashed the head of the cobra. He said, as he was moving a rock, he never laid down his rod. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Because if you have your rod and your staff in your hand, God, I am safe. The rod of our Heavenly Father is a symbol of his strength. It's a symbol of his strength. Think about the most famous rod in all of the Bible was Moses' rod, right? He took it and he put it into the Nile and it became blood. He held it up in front of the Red Sea and the Red Sea parted. He held it over his head head, and as he held it over his head, the power of God flowed through him and the Israelites defeated the Amalekites. It was a symbol of God's strength. Another illustration, my favorite probably is David, the great psalmist who wrote the 23rd Psalm. Chapter 17, he's speaking with King Saul. He says, Your servant was tending his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and took a lamb from the flock, I went out after him, and I attacked him and rescued it from his mouth. And when he rose up against me, I seized him by the beard, and I struck him, and I killed him. <laughs> I love that. You know, as we think David, and he's, you know, he's on his harp, right? And he's writing a little poetry, right? That's David, right? Well, that is. That is David. But this is also David beating a bear to death with a stick. That's, my son loves that image. I love that. Okay. David says, the Lord is my shepherd. I can beat off a bear, but God can beat off my strongest enemies. Because God is strong. Therefore, I'm safe. I was growing up, I remember at the end of sixth grade, there was a kid who was bullying me. It was about two or three weeks to the end of sixth grade. Every day, he would come up to me and say, I want to fight you. Every day, I want to fight you. He's wearing me down. He was intimidating me, even though he was, he was shorter than me, and he was skinnier than even I. He was skinnier than me, and he was shorter, but he told me, he said, my dad knows kung fu. <laughs> and he taught me kung fu. You know, now I look back and go, what can a sixth grader do with kung fu? What, what am I afraid of here? But I was intimidated, and so I went to my dad, and I asked advice. But I promise you, I didn't really want advice for my dad. I wanted my dad to go beat up his kung fu dad so that he wouldn't bother me anymore, right? I wanted my dad to go fight my fight for me. Take care of my enemy. Would you do please, dad? And I knew that my dad could. My dad is the strongest man I knew. Remember another time we were in the woods behind our house and we were clearing some brush and a German shepherd wandered into our yard and I yelled at it which just got its attention, right? It was passing through, and I yelled at it, and it turned, and it started coming right toward me. (laughs) My dad saw that German shepherd, too, and my dad was on the other side of our lot, and he came tearing through the woods, right? 
The brush is just scratching him up, tearing him up, and he's running through those woods, and he's yelling, and he's screaming, and you know, as soon as I saw my dad, I could look at that German shepherd, and I had no fear, because I knew that my dad would get there, and he would, literally, if he had to, just tear that German shepherd apart. He'd just tear him apart with his hands. So that was my dad, right? (laughs) Men and women, that's what your good shepherd can do for you. Does he gather you in his arms and care? Yes. That's what a good father does. A good father also tears your enemy limb from limb. I want you to turn back to the book of John with me. John chapter 10, verse 11. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Verse 15, even as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. A good shepherd goes ahead of his sheep. Western shepherds drive their sheep in front of them with dogs. An eastern shepherd goes into the danger first. And that's what Jesus has done for us. He went into death first for us and conquered our greatest enemy rising from the dead, so that we have no fear. We have no fear. And having secured us for himself, he will not lose us ever. Chapter 10, verse 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Do do you you see the image? The good shepherd reaches down and he picks up his sheep and he holds them, and he's got them wrapped up in his strong arms. The shepherd's strong. That's Jesus. He's taken you and he's wrapped you in his arms and you belong to him. And then around the hands of Jesus, which are so strong, the hands of God are wrapped. You cannot be snatched away. When I was a little kid, I loved being at my grandfather's house, my dad's dad, because my grandfather had the strongest hands I'd ever seen in my life. And he was a, a working man. He had worked his whole life with his hands. So his hands were these big meat patties, like sausages. His fingers were like sausages, just huge. And they were gnarly and, and callous. I've never seen calluses like that. So if he touched you, it would scratch you. I mean, it was just, you know, but I loved that. I loved being scratched. I just... You know, but if he grabbed you, you knew there was no way you're getting away from him, right? They're just tough, strong hands. In fact, the calluses were so thick, when he would work on uh, electrical wiring, he would not go to the fuse box and throw the breaker. He would take the wire, he would lick his fingers and take the wire and go, yeah, yeah, I feel a little buzz there. Okay, I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. That's how his hands were. So if you're playing with him and he grabbed you, you're, there's no, you're not getting away, right? And so, I'm seriously, whenever I read John 10, th- that's the image that comes to my mind. I am wrapped up in my grandfather's hands, and there is no escape. I belong to him. I belong to him. Think of a shepherd's hands. They're not soft hands. They're not weak hands. They're strong hands. Paul says, Who will separate you from the love of Christ? Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, or sword. No. So there's nothing in heights or depths. There's nothing, in fact, Paul says, that's ever been created that can separate you from the strong hand of God. You belong to him. 
So interestingly, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. But throughout all the Bible, God the Father has said, I am the good shepherd. Jesus' saying is, I and the Father are one. The Father's a good shepherd and I'm a good shepherd. In fact, if I can get grammatical on you for just a second here. When he says, I and the Father are one, the word for one is a noun. And it's a noun that is in the neuter gender, not masculine. Okay, track with me for a second. It's not masculine. It's neuter. If it were masculine, he would be saying, I and the Father are one person. But they're not one person because there's Father, Son, and Spirit. Three persons. What he's saying is, I and the Father are one in purpose, in action, in character, in motive. If the Father is a shepherd, then I'm a shepherd because I and the Father are one. And if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And if you want to know what the Father's like, then look at me. Now, John 10 is set in between the Feast of Tabernacles and the Feast of Hanukkah, the Feast of Dedication. The Feast of Tabernacles would have occurred in November. Dedication would have occurred, Hanukkah would have occurred in December. In this day, when Jesus was speaking in John 10, it was December 18th through December 25th. Dedication marked the last time that Israel had been delivered from its enemies. Right? When Jesus spoke, they were under Roman rule. They were slaves. They were not free. They were not safe. But it hadn't always been that way. In 167 BC, Antiochus Epiphanes, the, the Greek who was ruling over Syria, came into Israel and he conquered Israel, he conquered Jerusalem, and he went into the temple and he desecrated the temple. He sacrificed a pig on the altar. And he proclaimed himself God in human flesh. I am the manifestation of God on earth. Well, three years later, Judas Maccabeus, who's Judas the Hammer, he rallied all of the Israelites and they drove the Syrians out. And they rededicated the temple. Hanukkah is a celebration of the rededication of the temple. And in the rededication ceremony, as they celebrated that God had delivered them in the past and God would deliver them again in the future, right? that's what they're hoping for, the priests would go down to the Pool of Siloam and they would draw water for seven days and they would take that water and they would march up the hill to the temple and they would pour out the water on the altar. The water is a symbol of life. God will restore life to us. They would draw the water and they would pour out the water and then they would light candles. That's where we get the menorah. From, right? So they would light candles for seven days, pour out the water, light the candles. And they would do readings. And the readings, guess where the readings came from? In this day, in John chapter 10. According to the schedule of the lectionary, the readings came from Ezekiel chapter 34. The shepherd. And so Jesus draws on all of these images to say, I'm the one. I'm the deliverer. I am truth, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free, and you'll never be a slave again if you believe in this truth. I am the water of life. In fact, if you believe in me from your innermost being, there will be torrents of living water that will flow from you. I am the light of the world. I'm the true water. I am the light. I'm the deliverer. I'm the good shepherd. (laughs) I am God. I am God. I am that I am. Before Abraham was born, I am. See, Jesus draws from all of these images to show them if you want to know God and you want to know what God is like, then look at me. 
And I'm convinced, men and women, that for so many of us, we, we really don't understand God. We don't understand God particularly as our Heavenly Father because of the families we see around us, the families that we grew up in. We, we can't really connect with that idea. And this image of God as shepherd, I think, really illuminates our understanding of what it means that God is a father to us. Hey, let me illustrate. I, I have known many, many families whose children have left home, who've, who've walked away from their faith, and they've walked away from their family. They've chosen a lifestyle that is, is contrary to everything the family values. It's contrary to what God values. They walk away. I've known families who their children get so far off track, they say, you know, I don't want to have anything to do with my family whatsoever. I've known kids who have changed their name so they can disassociate with their family. I'll tell you this, I've never known a parent who says, that is no longer my child. That child was born into my family, so that child belongs to me forever. A child can wander all that he chooses to wander, but he belongs to me. She belongs to me. Because his safety, his security, her safety, her security doesn't depend on his faithfulness or her faithfulness, but upon my strength. And once that child is in my family, his child is in my hand, that child belongs to me forever. I have an observation for you. John 9 comes before John 10. I didn't even get that from Blake. I got that myself. (laughs) John 9 comes before John 10. John chapter 9 If you remember the story, there's a man born blind. Disciples say, well, who sinned? Somebody must sin. There must be a problem here. He sinned or his parents sinned. Jesus says, no, this is so that God could display his glory in this this man. Blind from birth, probably in his 30s. When Jesus spits in the ground, he makes some mud, he anoints his eyes, which is an act of what? Creation, right? He's creating there was no sight. There was blindness. He's going to create sight. And he goes and he sends the man down to wash in uh, which pool? Siloam, right? Where there's life. The man goes down. He doesn't know who Jesus is because he hasn't seen Jesus. He goes down. He washes. He opens up his eyes. He can see. And some people are rejoicing and celebrating, but some are like, no, this can't be the guy because blind people can't see. And he's been blind for 30-something years. It just doesn't happen. But it's crazy, and people are saying there's a miracle. Somebody did a miracle. Who did that miracle? Well, I was wondering if that Jesus guy. So the Pharisees call the man in, and they say, tell, tell us what happened. Goes, and I don't know, a guy put mud on my eyes. I went down, I washed. When I rinsed, I could see. How is this possible? Blind people can't see. Maybe it's not you. No, I've been blind from birth. Goes, oh, this is all I know. Once I was blind, now I can see. He goes, go get his parents. We don't believe this is really the kid or that he was blind or whatever. So Parents come in, and they're afraid. They say, look, he is our son, and we know he was blind. We don't know how he was given sight. We don't know. We don't know. They say, well, get the guy in here again. Give glory to God. We know that God doesn't respond to a sinful man. This man healed you on the Sabbath. He must be a sinner. And the guy says, look, I have no idea about that. All I know is that God doesn't answer the prayers of sinners. He's not listening But God answered this man's prayer. God listened. I was blind and now I can see. That's all that I know. And so what do the rulers of Israel, the shepherds of the sheep, what do they do to him? They throw him out. They cast him out. What does Jesus do? He goes and he finds him and he says, do you believe in the Son of Man? 
said, well, I would love to believe in the Son of Man. Who is he? He says, you're looking at him. That's why I let you see. And the man fell down and he worshipped. Because he had insight. You only worship God. He fell down and he worshipped. Because the good shepherd seeks and saves that which is lost. It goes and it finds, he goes and he finds the lost sheep. The bad shepherds throw the sheep out. They cast them out. They allow them to be devoured out in the wilderness. The good shepherd seeks and he saves and he brings in. And once that sheep belongs to him, he never lets that sheep go. That's a good shepherd. That's a good father. I don't think we fully understand what it means to have a good father. And as a result, we really don't understand what salvation is about. Jeremiah 31 says, Thus says the Lord, If the heavens above can be measured and the foundations of the earth searched out below, then I will also cast off all the offspring of Israel for all that they have done, declares the Lord. You know that God told this to his people when they were exiled. Right? When as a result or a consequence of their sin, they were living outside of Israel, then God came to them even in their exile and he said, look, if somebody can search out the heavens, which no one can, or go to the depths of the earth, which no one can, then I'll cast you off. Just because you're under discipline doesn't mean that I don't love you and care for you. You belong to me. You belong to me. Because fundamentally, we misunderstand salvation itself. We think of salvation like an item, right? It's, a, it's an item, and we go and we find it, and we pick it up, and we take it for ourselves. And someone might be able to come and steal that item from us, or we might take that item and, and drop it and lose it. But that's not what salvation is. Salvation is, is a change in your very nature. You're brought into the family of God, into the relationship of love between Father and Son and Spirit that they enjoyed for all of eternity. You're brought into that. Now you're, you're tra- transformed. You're changed. It's not an item, it's a transformation. It changes your very nature. The Apostle Paul wrestled to explain this and he came up with analogy after analogy after analogy to help us understand what does it mean to belong to God. One of his analogies was an economic analogy. He said, you've been redeemed. That is, you were slaves of sin and death and I went into the slave market and I bought you for myself. You belong to me. He also used a social analogy. You've been reconciled. You were aliens, alienated. You you were enemies of God. But God reconciled you back to himself. He made the relationship right. There's a legal analogy that Paul used. He said, you were in the wrong, on the wrong side of righteousness, and now I've declared you to be in right standing with me. Why? Because you believed in Jesus. I gave that to you. I gave you right standing in Jesus. There's a familial analogy. You've been adopted in the family of God. You were born into a family that was uh, contrary to God, that hated God. And now I've taken you out of that family. I've brought you into my own family. And now you have the rights of sonship. Firstborn sons. It's a political analogy. You belong to the kingdom or the domain of darkness, and I've taken you out of that kingdom. I've transferred you into the kingdom of my beloved son, and I've made you a kingdom rulers, and priests, intermediaries of my blessing. There's a biological analogy. You're born dead, but I can cause you to be born again. I want you to notice that in each of these things, there's a transformation that occurs. All of these things are done to you and for you. You don't do these things for yourself. In other words, you are not saved because of your faith. You are saved by God through your faith. 
right? The moment you believe God saves you and he redeems you, he reconciles you, he justifies you, he adopts you, he makes you into a kingdom of priests, he regenerates you. All these things are done to you and for you. In other words, you don't have the power to undo these things. God is a good father and he won't cast you off and he has transformed you and made you a member of your family and you can't be released from his grip. You belong to God. You belong to God. I want you to imagine for a moment your life forever is right there in the grip of Jesus and surrounding the hands of Jesus are the hands of the creator of the universe. How does that change your sense of of value and worth? How does that change your sense of devotion and longing to know God and be with him? How does that change your sense of purpose to share that safety and security? Because you belong to God. Would you bow with me? Maybe this morning uh, you are not sure if you belong to the Good Shepherd. Um, I've asked some men and women to come to the, the front and be ready to, to pray with you. If you'd like to come after the service and just speak with someone, have someone pray with you and help you uh, understand how you can become uh, a part of God's family. It's a very simple thing. Very simple thing. You simply believe that Jesus died for your sins. That he was raised so that you can have life forever. I encourage you... Uh, you're not certain about that this morning, come forward. Let somebody pray with you and talk with you about that. Or maybe uh, what you're really wrestling with is, is accepting and trusting the fact that God does love you and that you do belong to him and that you're safe and secure in him. Maybe that's a result of the family you grew up in or experiences you've had. You know that you believe in Jesus, but you're really wrestling with entrusting yourself and your life to God. Please come forward. Let somebody just be with you and pray for you this morning. Father, I thank you that you have brought us into your family, that we're safe and we're secure, that we are your treasure, that transforms our understanding of of how valuable we are because we're valuable to you. And Father, it stirs up within us a desire to to not keep that to ourselves, but to share it with others. I pray, Father, that throughout the remainder of this semester, into the summer, that as as we look at you differently and we look at ourselves differently, We would look at those around us differently. We would long for them to have what we have in the Good Shepherd. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful morning.